What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Happy freaking Monday. My name is Austin Jardine, and this is the Vanguard Project Podcast. Man, I hope you all had a wonderful weekend. I spent a ton of time outside shooting. I had some friends uh, or some friends out of town that uh, had me step in for them to help some uh, some uh, other people go out and shoot for uh, not necessarily their first time, but shoot some fun, some fun rifles, some long range stuff, you know, running around in the desert on an ATV, had a good time. Then a big family event uh, on Sunday taking just, I think there was like 10 or 12 people out shooting, just having a good time, uh, kind of running the gamut of, uh, of different guns. And so I feel pretty fortunate this weekend, you know, spent a little bit of money uh, out shooting, but had a wonderful time. So I hope you all, you know, did something that filled your cup a little bit, but I am really excited for today's episode with Mr. Ian Strimbeck of uh, Rune Nation. And uh, before we get into it, for those of you maybe tuning in for the first time, um, you know, this podcast really focuses on on telling people stories. Uh, my goal isn't really to uh, kind of talk so much about myself or kind of have necessarily like a, a random conversation, I guess you could say. Um, so much as really understanding who people are, where they come from, what it is that uh, it, that they do, right, and how they got to where they're at. And my hope is as you start to listen and uh, and kind of really dive into these people's stories, we understand a little bit of their motivation, insight, understanding their struggles, so that uh, if you feel the desire to maybe follow in their footsteps in a way, maybe live vicariously through them, find a way uh, to kind of pursue your passion if you maybe don't understand how or want to find a way to get kicked forward or maybe find a community to join in on. Um, hoping that these stories help you kind of understand that, you know, uh, there, there's ways to do that and that you can start to tap into different communities. So um, in doing that, you know, uh, my my real end goal is uh, growth through story and strength through community, which I do my best to embody kind of like I said, through telling uh, or having folks tell their stories and kind of share in what it is they're working on and to have you find ways maybe to join in on uh, on their adventures as well. So um, with all of that being said, uh, I've been really fortunate over the past almost year. Like I'm at one year here at the beginning of May and I've been really fortunate to have partnered with uh, a couple companies and uh, you know that have helped really get me connected, push forward, all of these great things. And uh, one of them is Black Rifle Coffee. And I've been extremely fortunate. I, you know, I love Black Rifle Coffee. Um, I've drank kind of uh, a, a montage, I guess you could say, or a, uh, whatever it is, or a collage of things. You know, I've drank a ton of coffee and I love pretty much all of it. You know, I, I think the one that uh, really drives it home for my wife and I is uh, is the Power Llama. And I know I've talked about it a couple times, but I... I love the Power Llama. It's something that uh, I've turned into a bit of a coffee snob because uh, I will make some at home and I will take it with me to work in a little thermos. And that's like the only coffee I'll drink unless it's like three o'clock in the afternoon. I'm fresh out of everything and I need the sludge from the machine at work. But uh, be sure to use code Vanguard uh, for 20% off, which is nuts to me to get 20% off a product using a code. Uh, so use code Vanguard, get 20% off, uh, whether that's Power Llama, maybe you want to try a subscription service. You know, that, that'll save you 20% off of that as well, which, again, is awesome. So be sure to use code Vanguard, 20% off Black Rifle's website. Um, there's a couple other things that uh, I'm a big fan of. Like, uh, they're, they're uh, ready-to-drink espressos. And I, I also like grinds, which might sound weird. Like, they're the little packet, the coffee packets. Um, they're great for hiking and camping and hunting where you might need that little bit of a caffeine hit, um, but, you know, don't have time or uh, or the drive or whatever to make coffee. Um, I know they recently came out with the Grinds Coffee. I don't know if my code is valid for that. Um, and I haven't tried it yet either. I've tried Grinds in a variety of other flavors pre-Black Rifle. And I'm excited to get my hands on some and see how they taste. But regardless, use the code Vanguard 20% off. I'm going to stop rambling and we're going to roll a really fun episode with Mr. Ian because he is an awesome dude and very insightful. I enjoy talking. So I'm going to stop rambling and let's hit it. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. I'm super excited. Uh, with me today is uh, Mr. Ian Strimbeck. And I'm excited because we were kind of shooting this shit a little bit beforehand. And I feel like this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, you recently got a, a van and or it's a, it's a school bus. And as you're school talking, bus, yeah. I didn't I didn't interject, but I can relate because I took a uh, I built a 
as my redneck camper on the back of my pickup. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, but it's basically the same thing, but a little bit smaller. So I'm super jealous because you're going to be using this to travel a lot, a lot in, right? I mean, yeah. uh, Yeah. uh, Big shout out to my buddy, Nate uh, at range Fox. Uh, Him and I went in halvesies on this uh, school bus, essentially bought it from a walking New York caricature from long Island, New York. And uh, we're going to basically be traveling in this thing, um, anything east of the Mississippi. So anything within a 16 hour window one way, we're going to try to drive this thing to just to uh, limit our exposure of having to deal with the uh, with the loveliness that is of the airport. So we're going to uh, Michigan this weekend and then we'll have a weekend off and then basically uh, the three back to back weekends in April, we're going to North Carolina then uh let's see north carolina um someplace else and then upper state new york um so we're, we're gonna be going pretty much um all over oh yeah sorry i apologize new york pennsylvania and then uh, upper state new york and then we'll have the last weekend off in april so it'll be uh it'll be a good time all around especially with those awesome gas prices but um <laughs> it's uh it's it's still better than any day or any amount of time spent inside of an airport so we're, we're definitely uh, super excited for it that's sweet yeah i'm i'm jealous i think a road trip sounds like a lot of fun doing it in a diy school bus sounds even better yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah. We got we, we we got carpeted floors. We got some wood paneling. <laughs> we got some TVs. We got two couches. It, it even came with a working four hundred pound foldable uh, handicap ramp that comes out that will make a makeshift b- barbecue stand. So, dude, there you go. That's good. it. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. That's awesome, man. So you yeah. and I were chatting. I've you know we talked a little bit. I'm familiar with what it is that you do. Do you mind kind of just giving yourself a bit of an intro? and maybe sure. kind of leading into why you're going to be driving so much. Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Ian Strimbeck. I am the owner and founder of Rune Nation. Uh, I spent some time in the Marine Corps from 2006 to 2010. Within those four years, I held every position within a infantry fire team. So uh, saw gunner, grenadier, point man, team leader. I spent all of my time with 3rd Battalion, 2nd Marines down in Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Um, when it came time to swear back in again, I forego that said nay and wanted to kind of try to get my own life back on track. So when 2010 came around, I uh, decided to get out and came back home. Unfortunately, the home at that time was within the draconian and communist state of Massachusetts. It's where I was born and raised um, and used my GI Bill to go back to uh, college and I went to Salem State University out of Salem, Mass. And uh, from 2010 to 2014, and 2014, I ended up getting my bachelor's in communication with a concentration in journalism and a minor in psychology. Uh, within those four years, I, uh, I first got my feet wet, we'll say, teaching within the private sector. So I worked for a locally based uh, firearms training company out of the state of Massachusetts. I also worked for an executive protection firm out of the greater Boston area. We uh, worked alongside um, the international dignitaries such as the Dalai Lama when he was doing his tours back in 2011 and 2012. Um, also when you know uh, rock bands or rock stars would come to do their tour, we work, work alongside them as their, as their uh, or they would be our principal as um, a protectee and any type of other VIPs that would visit the Boston area. And then also along with that, uh, we'll stay worked in less than desirable bars in less than desirable areas of Boston. And that really opened my eyes to the normalcy of everyday criminal interaction and how fast and how violent things can become, especially in small and tight and compromised spaces. Um, in 2014, after I graduated college, I really had no rhyme or reason to stay in Massachusetts just because as you know, Mass really isn't big on the whole uh, personal autonomy, you know, self-preservation thing. Uh, so what? decided to, yeah, to, to go out on a whim and move up to now where, where I now reside, uh, live free or die up in the state of New Hampshire, as we just call the Shire. Uh, in 20, from 2014 to 2017, still had a full-time job that I absolutely despise, but again, got to put food on the table for the family. Uh, and again, now I was working for another uh, locally based training company, again, is their cadre, but now this time in New Hampshire. 
And then finally in 2017, um, we'll say uh, saved enough of my shekels and uh, was able to give my two week notice. And I have been doing this ever since. Uh, I own this company and we're, we're, we're basically a, a consulting and education entity uh, that more or less helps individuals, whether an individual be a uh, regular citizen, law enforcement, military, but helps them really figure out um, how to endure the trivialities that life can sometimes offer. And obviously within what I do, it's more within the context of self-preservation, self-defense. So anything relating to a carbine or a pistol and anything and everything relating to some form of grappling, especially grappling with edge weapons. Um, I've been doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu since 2012, and it's been a huge part of my life, probably even a bigger part of my life than actually pressing the trigger on a gun. And it's opened a lot of doors for me. It's, it's helped form me into the individual that I am today. And uh, that is kind of what I guess differentiates me from most other kind of companies that are out there where it's just solely focused on uh, the firearm itself. And I personally believe that uh, the firearm is actually, or should be your, your last option when it comes to the, the idea of self-preservation. Sure. You know, if, if you can have a better understanding of your environment, if you can be able to talk to people or de-escalate somebody, um, or if you can control their, their posture and your position around them with some form of, of grappling, that means that it doesn't need to go to a lethal response because people always want to talk about the pre as in all the training that you're going to do and all the gear you're going to buy and all the cool pictures you're going to post on Instagram, but no one really wants to talk about the, the, the post shooting in regards to um, the, the change that's going to occur in your psychology as to ending another human life. Yeah. And, and more importantly, especially in today's day and age with how it's going to deal with, with the legal factor of dealing with basically being painted as a criminal, your firearm going into an evidence locker, and then you going back and forth between court, you know, potentially for over a year for in the end, you hopefully be proven innocent within the, the whole thing. But um, that's kind of the paradox of, of, of what I do. I teach people these skills in the hopes that they're never going to have to use them. But as we all know, hope is not a method. That's why we have to have a method in place in order if things do fail, that we have some type of contingency plan that can bring us home, our loved ones home, or our partners home at the end of the day. Yeah. So that's my, uh, that's my little spiel. Dude, I love it. It's uh, <laughs> I was taking notes, like frantically, like taking notes so that I can make sure I'm like, okay, there's a yeah. lot. And I feel like, I feel like I'm not going to be able to ask all of the questions I want. Yeah, so yeah. it's going to be, a, yeah. it's going to be a lot of fun. So taking notes going maybe back to the beginning, because yeah. part of what I like to do is kind of tell the story of how you kind of grew up more or less into where you're at. Right. So yeah. when you started in the Marine Corps, what was it that led you down the path of the Marine Corps? I mean, did you grow up in military family? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I had my, my grandparents be in the military. Uh, my, my father was unable due to an open heart surgery he had when he was 12, but he did work at General Electric for almost four decades. And uh, there was a plant, a General Electric plant in the city that I was born in, in, in Lynn, Mass, in Lynn, Massachusetts. And he basically worked on every type of fixed wing or rotary wing aircraft that you could imagine. So uh, the A-10, F-15, F-16, F-18, uh, the, the Apache, the Cobra, the Blackhawk, you know, any, anything that you've seen in a movie, my, my dad's probably put his hands on, on the turbine and it's at some point in time, even during the Gulf War. Um, he, he, he was on the, uh, the, uh, skunk works project for the F-117 That's when, when cool. they were doing the, 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 stealth bomber and all that. So he didn't have, he wasn't technically in the military, but dealt with them heavily. Like he, he shook hands with more admirals and more four-star generals than I probably ever had in the military. Yeah. I even have a picture in, uh, in my office downstairs of him with John Glenn back in the 1980s when John Glenn visited the, that general electric plant. So yeah. 
Um, because of that, I, I actually originally wanted to be a, a pilot just because of, you know, that's what he did. He always brought me into for like the GE field day and bring the families in and see the whole thing. And that's what I wanted to do. And then I realized you had to go to college and I wasn't about school. So, um, <laughs> I ended up looking at it in the sense of I'm going to go in the military from what my 17 year old mind perceived as the most difficult branch, I'm going to go in the Marine Corps and, from what I am now, I was basically a, a shell of who I, who I am today. I, I was very meek as a child. I was, I was smaller for my age. I was an only child. I never did traditional team-based sports. I mean, my, when, when I was growing up, my, my dad also did semi to amateur professional mountain bike cross-country racing. So yeah. uh, doing solo type of you know, events like hiking or camping or, or, or cycling, that, that was more of a big part of my life. And as we all know, kids that are young, you know, aren't really the, uh, the, the most in- enthusiastic about those certain things, especially if there's an outsider, you know, it, it, it's like the, it's like, it's like the, the weakest prey to type threat to, to jump on. So I perceived it as I needed to do this, you know, more so f- for myself to see if I could do it. Um, just because, like I said, I was, I was definitely not, um, the strength that I have today. And I helped, and I, and I, and I feel that the Marine Corps helped mold me, uh, kind of remold me into the more confident person that I am today. It's especially having, uh, Marines above me that were in charge of me that were more or less my o- older brothers that, you know, I could count on to look for counsel, to look for advice, you know, things that I didn't have necessarily as an only child. And it gave me, uh, purpose and direction more importantly than anything else yeah so when you started to i guess rely on your brothers and folks around you being the only child probably not having experience or i guess having experience that at all how did you go about that i mean was that a a difficult thing to go learn i suppose you could say no like it it wasn't difficult in in the sense of i uh, of like i was like an independent thinker and, and it got me in trouble well, actually, I, I guess it kind of did, but not from not from my immediate superiors. Um, I, I I look to them, like I said, more as um, a mentor and more as uh, individuals that I, I could look to if if I did have problems. You know, if I did get hemmed up at being off base and getting speed and tickets and you know stuff like that, that that they could potentially cover for me or you know. Uh, not have their higher ups start jumping down my throat, that sort of thing. Um, but because of my open mindedness to things and having friends in certain other, we'll say, units and specialities within the Marine Corps, um, it it did kind of get me painted as a black sheep, more or less, because. It's not like I questioned authority in an unsafe manner, but I questioned authority in the sense of why work harder when you can work smarter instead. And I love the Marine Corps. I love my time in it, but you can talk to any Marine and they all will say the same thing in regards to how the Marine Corps follows the tradition, sometimes to a fault. You know, they're, they're very, Marine Corps is very strong in the traditions, but uh, not so much thinking outside the box, uh, at least with the unit that I was with. I, I know some guys that did end up reenlisting and they're still in it and they're loving it. But for me, by the end of my four years, I was so mentally shot just from the drudgery of it all and just doing things, you know, trying to put a square block in a circle hole and, and, and you're just wondering why or they're wondering why things aren't working. Um, I just was put my hands up and said, I'm done. You know, I'm, I'm going to go and try and figure things out for myself and more or less try to get some happiness back. Because by the end of those four years, I was just so um, unhappy in, re- in not, not in regards to what I did, but in, in regards to um, how I was looked at as more of just a number which, I, which again, is, isn't anything new. Again, you can talk to anybody regardless of branch. You know, if you're in a basic infantry setting, which is what I was, you are more, more of just a body than you are as an individual. Yeah. And um, that's the one thing that I really kind of pride myself on. And I try to, you know, help guide my students with is to 
embrace this concept of personal autonomy, you know, Mm -hmm. to, to take responsibility for your actions, for your life, you know, don't allow, you know, um, certain, a certain person with a certain authority, whether it be in your job or in our country to tell you what to do, what to think and how to do it. You know, you are your own sovereign individual. And, and And I think, you know, what we've seen the past two years is that it's very easy a little too easy, a little scarily easy to condition a lot of people to believing the opposite, that they're not capable, that they're not sovereign, and that there are people smarter than them that should make those choices. And that, to me, is absolutely terrifying, as I'm sure you can, you know, concur with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I can. I, it's funny. I've studied, and not to go down this rabbit hole, because this can be totally terrifying, but like I studied <laughs> economics in college, and I studied yep. um, mostly theoretical economics or theory based right and so i studied anarchy and you know radical economics which was one of my favorite classes and i remember doing a a research paper on um oh god i can't remember what it is now but it was uh it was terrifying because by the end of my research i realized how easy it was to convince people of very simple but terrifying oh yeah not very 1984 for sure um but that's a rabbit hole maybe for another day because <laughs> it's it's fun to think about but scary to apply you know um oh so for sure when you when you started to or when you decided to, to transition out of the the marine corps right and maybe at the risk of sounding a little woo-woo right was it was it truly hey i'm not happy i need to find happiness i need to find myself autonomy and i need to get out and apply myself in different areas i mean is that the driving force for you out of the marine corps i guess I mean, probably subconsciously, yes, but, you know, even at, uh, let's say I, I, I was about 23 when I, when I left the military. So I was a 23 year old freshman going into college. And, you know, I can tell you when I was 23, like even then I really had no idea what I was going to do with this potential degree. Um, that's why I think it's absolutely crazy that, you know, a lot of people are, are, are pushing their kids into, you know, going to college so that they're going to be in debt for the rest of their life when they really have no idea what they're going to like, what 17, 18 year old kid knows what they want to do for the rest of their life. You know, I really didn't even know at 23. I still really don't know, even though I do this, you know, I still really don't (laughs) want to know when I, when I grow up, uh, you know, uh, uh, essentially, but um, I think I more wanted to do it just to be, (laughs) you know, as bad as it sounds to, to, to be rid of the military and, and to see if I can accomplish this thing, because, because a lot of people that will say weren't a fan of me because they believed me to, to, to be the, the black sheep, you know, told me that, you know, you'll be back. You'll see if the grass isn't greener on the other side, you won't make it out there. Yeah. So I kind of did it more so out of spite. Um, and, you know, I, I refuse to, to, you know, to, to be a statistic, especially one of their statistics. Oh yeah. See stream back. No, I, I, I refuse to that. So, so I wanted to do everything in my power to, to, to see if I could accomplish that. And I, I went to, to college for writing more or less because writing has always been my thing, not necessarily journalism. Like I, I would, I never in a million years would ever want to work for a newspaper or sure. any type of news source for obvious reasons as we've seen in the past two years um but but i do like the idea of creative writing um writing in general you know i probably read 10 pages of something every single day i'm big on philosophy on spiritualism not on really a religious level but just spiritualism in general stoicism Um, i what stoicism there you go yeah exactly um I've, I've written a, a few articles for um, Skillset Magazine, for Recoil, um, and I recently had a piece, an essay that I wrote uh, for my friends over in Salt Lake called, uh, they have a publishing company called Nonprofit, and um, I, I, I had a, a piece published through them. So writing's really been a big thing for me. Like if you ever look at my social media, even though I'm not a fan of social media, I still try to remain some type of relevancy on there. So I post maybe once a week, but there, there really is more effort placed in the writing. You know, I still try to place good quality pictures as well, but um, I, I could really care less if somebody doesn't read it, you know, I'm writing it more for me. And there may be one person out there that the, the essay that I write in the caption may affect. And for me, that's worth everything. 
at the end of the day. Um, I've actually started to place more effort off of social media and into uh, something on my website called MindFuel. It's essentially a $3 a month paywall. And I put updated content on there every single day. I leave the comments open so we can create discourse and a conversation. And I don't have to worry about being banned. You know, a, a lot of people have let me know that they can't tag me on Instagram anymore because I'm, <laughs> you know, obviously a domestic terrorist for the things that I have said within the past two years. So because of that, Instagram flags me and people cannot tag me. And I'm sure I'm shadow banned as well. Um, and, and people have told me like, oh, you just created a second account. It's like, no, that, that you're, you're not understanding. Like I'm not creating another account on a platform that I don't support. And that doesn't support what I do. Like, it's pretty obvious now that whether it be Facebook or Instagram, whatever else these, these biased platforms are, they don't support the second amendment, obviously. And they definitely don't support the first amendment at the end of the day though they are still one of the biggest platforms out there. You know, I, I'm on Vero as well. Uh, if you never heard of Vero, um, it's, it's a similar layout as Instagram, but there's no ads, there's no algorithms. Um, I've, I've chatted with, with um, one of the guys that helped develop it and they're really good people. They're really big on the first amendment and free speech and all that. Unfortunately, it still doesn't have the poll that Instagram or Facebook is sure. going to have. Um, and I mostly still have them now to answer questions people send me in DMs or to, to, uh, to, to chat with people. Um, but uh, I'm definitely not necessarily worried about having the most likes or the most shares. Um, just because I, I don't, I don't believe as to what, you know, either of those platforms, unfortunately stand for. Yeah. You're, it sounds like um, you're more of the, um, I guess the, the psychology thought provoking yes. mentality side of it is kind of what I'm hearing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because as far as I'm concerned, that is the most important, whether it's relating to shooting, whether it's relating to fitness, whether it's relating to business, um, all of that. The, 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 the psychology of the self, your ability to endure, um, your ability to ask the hard questions, that's what's the most important. The, what I do with, with the firearms or the combatives is just one of the many potential solutions to the problems that you may encounter in life. Sure. And I have found that even though the, the vessel that I use, again, whether it be combatives or firearms, is what it is in regards to, you know, having to use violence in order to come home at the end of the day, it still translates over to other skills, right? Like Mm -hmm. you can shoot and move, deal with malfunctions, idea, shoot or a no shoot type scenario. Then that, you know, conference call that you've been stressing about for the past two months that you have to do on Monday is going to be a cakewalk because you're, you're able to keep calm, cool, and collected in a very stress-induced scenario or event that, that, you know, we have within the seminar work. Yeah. So when you're talking about the seminar work, right. Um, and I'm probably jumping ahead, but I'm really interested in picking your brain kind of on the whole psychology aspect of it. Right. Is, um, when it comes down to kind of those stress induced environments, are you drawing on past experience part of your 10 pages of reading a day? Is it spent in, you know, like psychology today and trying to understand what the latest and greatest is in terms of how the mind functions? I mean, how are you developing those seminars? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's basically been a, a, a collection of just information over the years. Like I said, I minored in, in psychology in college. That was kind of my first like ah moment yeah. to my interest in it. Uh, just because it's probably one of my favorites was biopsychology to understand, you know, how the brain actually works. Um, your, you know, uh, sympathetic versus parasympathetic fight or flight response. Um, I also within the past four or five years got, really into intentional breath work. So understanding how to breathe properly, starting with Wim Hof and the cold water immersion, and um, then moving into Brian McKenzie, who started a company called Power Speed Endurance, which again relates relates to to the breathing, because the breathing component is super overlooked, again, especially when it comes to shooting, because people just think about, you know, the dual nods and... (laughs) you know, the full kid <laughs> and, you know, and, pedal and the yeah. laser and, and all that stuff. But then when I have them do a drill that involves sprinting from the zero to the 50 and then get two good quality hits on the target, they were rounds all over the place because they're not understanding how to breathe properly. You know, sure. they're not, not understanding how to get into the position, 
how to breathe in a certain manner to stable yourself out. And that will stable the platform out in order for you to facilitate those, those quality hits. Um, so, so that really kind of opened my eyes as well with, with the cold water immersion and the intentional breath work for not only shooting, but also lifting and jujitsu as well. Yeah. And then um, also yoga has been a big part of my life too. Like when, whenever I travel, I have a, a foldable, uh, yoga mat that kind of like folds into like basically a map square folds pretty small and I can bring that anywhere with me. And, you know, it, it's the first thing that I do in the morning, stretch for two to three minutes and the same thing at night. Um, and it, it's, it's just become a huge part of my life, you know, because the more flexible you are, the, the, the less stiff you are, the, the faster you're going to be able to move and the more efficient you're going to be able to get into those positions, especially in some of my seminars where we're intentionally working around barricades and unconventional shooting positions, like on your shoulder or on your back, or even inverted shooting over, um, you know, shooting from the really small ports and you have to be in these small compromised spaces. And you'd be surprised the, the, the amount of students who actually have to tap like tap out and be like, no, man, I I have to step out for this drill just because their body isn't allowing them to get into that position because they're just so, so stiff. And, and, and I do understand that we all have injuries and, uh, you know, you know, some people have certain types of jobs that are very physical and, and, and all that, but I'm telling you that if people, a lot more people put more effort into doing the boring repetition of stretching every single day and maybe spending 20 minutes, 30 minutes twice a week to actually doing a a full um, yoga practice, they would be not only less sore all the time, but they would be more mindful, you know, just overall. Yeah. Um, And people always say they don't have the time, but they have plenty of time to, you know, sit down TV and watch the sports game or go to the bar or anything else. And, you know, it comes down at the end of the day, if it's truly a priority for you, you'll find the time. If not, you'll sure as shit find an excuse. Right. And, and that's kind of the, the way that I look at, at a lot of things. People say like, oh, it's important to me. I'm like, well, it really isn't because if it was, then you wouldn't be making excuses for it. Yeah, for sure. So a lot of questions coming out of that. I think my, <laughs> my first one is, I, I definitely agree. So I come from, like I was telling you before we started recording, right? Kind of the, the competition side. And I've been yeah. in, we call it tactical yoga, right? Because you, you you have to find yourself in weird spots to stabilize a gun, to get a good oh, shot yeah. off, right? Yeah. What What is the purpose in your mind for some maybe incredibly difficult positions that might be uncommon in a real world situation? Does that question make sense? Kind of Could like, you, uh, like, I guess, why, why would you push people so hard uh, to stretch and find awkward positions to train them? Well, it, a tough, it's very simple. Yeah. And, you know, I would, as cliche, as cliche as the saying is, I would much rather have priorly or previously trained from that position and not need it then have to get in that position and have never trained from that position before and be like, Oh shit. And end up shooting the wheel well or shooting my toe or just doing something stupid because I've never previously trained from that position. Like I was telling you before we started, I I was doing a private with a, with with a client today and he had never shot um, a rifle from the VTAC barricade before. I'm sure you know what a VTAC barricade mm-hmm. is, right? It has all different ports designed by Kyle Lamb from VTAC. Yep. Um, just really, it's a really good piece of simple cutout that you can cut out from a piece of wood. It has different angles, ports, just really shitty place to shoot handguns or especially rifles from. Yeah. And he was using the, the, the bottom ports to basically use inverted prone or people call it broke back prone or you know, just getting those really weird tight positions. And he's like, wow. I've never shot from this position before and it's super difficult and I'm super stressed out, but I absolutely love it. Yeah. And what it comes down to is that we as humans, especially men crave adversity. Like it's literally woven into our DNA and the most anxiety ridden and depressed people that I have met in my life so far are the people who run away from adversity who don't do the hard things, who are scared of venturing beyond the horizon. You know, they, they're, they're tethered to shore 
out of fear, more or less. And they are the most insecure people because they, they don't know what hitting rock bottom feels like. They, they, they might have an idea, but they really don't know because they've never pushed themselves that far. So because they've never hit rock bottom and they've never hit the bottom of the, fi- of the figurative well, they think everything is hard. They think everything is scary. Sure. But the people that do push themselves, again, whether it be through martial arts, whether it be through fitness, whether it be through shooting, whether it be all of the above, they are the most, they're the most calm people I know. And they're the friendliest people I know because they know how to control their emotions under the worst possible environmental stress that they can offer or that yeah. they can be in. Yeah. Um, that's, that's kind of my two cents on that. Yeah. Okay. So I imagine you've hit rock bottom and kind of using kind of this scenario, right? I imagine you've hit rock yeah. bottom. I imagine you've been around folks. You've trained folks that are at rock bottom, hit rock bottom, whatever the case may be. Right. What yeah. have you found, learned, seen that help people bounce back from hitting rock bottom, like to, to continue pushing forward? Cause it's easy to stop when you hit it. You're like, dude, I'm out. I'm tapping. This is it. I'm done. I'm stressed out. Yeah. Not allowing them to immediately tap out on themselves. Now, what do I mean by that? You're talking specifically in the context of what I do with teaching mm-hmm. with firearms. You know, a, a lot of students get irritated if they're not getting the hits, say on the target, if they're shooting steel per se, and they're missing and they're missing and they're missing. And, you know, you can see for a brief moment that, that they just want to either just put the rifle back on safe or just reholster the pistol and be like, I'm done. But I tell them like, take a breath, adjust your sights, take the slack out nice and slow. And they're like, oh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm on the last magazine. I'm like, okay, good. Then keep working towards it, right? Like if you have ammo in the gun and you can still continue the drill, then continue the drill. Like it doesn't matter doesn't matter how fast you are at whatever the drill, especially if you're in the beginning stages of learning when it comes to, to firearms use, you know, a lot of people, especially again, guys like to compare ourselves to other guys, especially when it's an all male class, which (laughs) typically most of mine are. So we're subconsciously trying to compare ourselves to other people. We don't know their story. Like we don't, a lot of guys don't know that the person shooting next to them, that they're like, wow, he's really good. He's been shooting for 20 years and maybe has had a career in the law enforcement or military and a specialized team or a specialized unit. They're, they're just seeing like, wow, that guy can really shoot. Why can't I shoot like that? And they don't immediately recognize that it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of <laughs> failure involved, right? It's not an instantaneous process. Yeah. And I think that's what we've, as a society, kind of unintentionally um, have done to ourselves is seeing that, oh, well, I can order something from Amazon and it'll get to my house in 24 hours. You know, I should be able to do the same thing when it comes to my finances or uh, skill sets, whether it be skill sets for lifting or martial arts or shooting. Um, so we try to compare ourselves to that. So as long as I'm able to keep the student going and I can get them to finish the drill, even if they're the last one, they, they still understand that they were able to see it to the end. And yeah. that's what truly matters. You know, speed, when it comes to shooting, as you know, will always organically develop over time, over time of the consistent repetitions that you put in. It's not going to be an overnight thing. Like I, I tell, I, you know, I, I tell my clients immediately when, when they, when they, when they show up to the seminar, like, I wish I could tell you that after these one or two days that you'll be a grandmaster USPSA shooter, but that's not the case. You know, you're going to have a better understanding about yourself and how to use the firearms, but it's up to you after I'm long and gone and you're back here at the range to reiterate those skills on your own. And that's where most shooters specifically fail is they, that they aren't able to hold themselves accountable. And that's yeah. kind of going full circle here with the lack of accountability overall in our society. You know, we're, we're too easy to point finger and say, oh, well, I didn't have time this week to dry fire or, you know, stuff came up or this or that. And, and, and that's all well and good, you know, like, I get it. Life happens. You know, everybody has their job, family, life. I get that, but it still doesn't change the fact that you failed to put whatever the specific work in work in. And because of that, don't be surprised next time you go to the range and you bomb your, your cold star, you bomb the drill because again, you didn't put the time in. you can't get aggravated and say, Oh, well, I think the sights are off or, you know, the, the, I think the barrel's dirty. It's like, no, you just haven't put the time in. Therefore that's why you're sucking right now. 
Yeah. So <laughs> in kind of the context of all of this, right, I'm thinking, you know, what what have you learned as far as either goal setting, consistency, right, or scheduling, right? I mean, like when you sit down and you say, hey, listen, and at the end of these two days of the seminar, you're not going to be a grandmaster. Do you help kind of them understand what it might take to do that? Is that part of the conversation? I mean, or are you just saying, hey, I'm giving you the fundamentals. And after this, it's a matter of, of your own personal will to go figure it out. Yeah. So I kind of, the, the, the way that, that, that I go teach in general, and again, this isn't rocket science. It's not like some secret squirrel sauce that a lot of guys won't reveal the way that they teach. You know, I'm, I'm not like that. I'm, I'm very transparent. I'm very open book. It's a crawl, walk, run method. You know, again, this is nothing new. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't have them show up to the class, be like, all right, we're going, this is the, this is the cold start. We're going to shoot, move, communicate, you know, target ID. We're going to do low light and uh, hopefully don't die. All right. See you later. No, it's, it's not like that. We still do a, some type of cold start, but it's at not a fundamental level, but, but, but it's at a level that they can understand where they're at and also allows me as a teacher to see where they're at and what I'm dealing with from a student base for that day or those two days, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, now, in, in regards to what they do after the, you know, the, the seminar of the weekend, you know, I, I always tell them to, to, to reach out to me if they had questions about, you know, the, the drills that I offered, but I also, along with that, do something with, with, with a lot of other uh, instructors don't do, which is what's called remote coaching. Now, again, remote coaching isn't a new concept, but it's a fairly new concept when it comes to shooting. I've in the past had been remote coached multiple times for fitness through multiple fitness coaches over the years. And I thought of it as if it can be done for lifting, why can't the same concept be applied for shooting? You know, so I um, took a pre-existing software that's used for lifting and I just replaced, you know, bench press with presentation from the holster or reloading or target transitioning or movement. And, um, and they can video themselves. They send it to me. I dissect it. I put it through another app that I can slow down the video and draw in and draw lines as to where their presentation is, or if the presentation's off. And then I can give that back to them for them to dissect on their own time. And, you know, I, I can set up their programming in the sense of, you know, like two days a week, five days a week, all dry fire, all live fire, a mixture of both. It, it's all subjective to them and their lifestyle. And, and I've had clients over the years that have been with me for over three years now. I have some that, uh, you know, were uh, law enforcement over in Europe. So I've had people from all walks of life that, that come through this stuff. And in the end, it, it keeps them, it keeps them accountable more importantly. Uh, but it also um, shows them um, how to program their own dry fire time, because especially in today's age now with the whole Amos situation, especially where, where who knows where it's going to go next. Um, dry fire is super imperative, especially when it comes to pistol work or even close to medium distance rifle work. Uh, being able to get those solid manipulations, either whether it be from, you know, high or low ready with the rifle or reloading or again, presentation, the holster, things like that, that can all be rep dry. And again, if you're doing it intentionally and with effort, not just like, Oh, I got to do my daily dry fire, uh, just bring the pistol up and you're just going through the motions. If you actually have intention with it, you'd be surprised the, the amount that carries over into your live fire. And, uh, Another way to become accountable is, is again, going back to what we talked about before with the bus, my buddy, Nate range Fox, he developed an app called range Fox that is currently available for iOS and Android. This is a shameless marketing plug and Nate will listen to this later. You know, I, I love you. And uh, this was, uh, this was spontaneous, but uh, it's, it's basically um, a, both a live fire and a dry fire app. And on the home screen, it has a pie graph that shows you your split percentage between your dry and your live fire time. So in the app, it has dry fire drills that you can do. It has a built-in shot timer in the app that you can use for your dry fire. Oh, that's cool. And then for your, for your live fire, it has uh, a collection, uh, basically a directory of different drills, all, all the classics like um, Mozambique, 
Um, the uh, El Presidente, uh, the bill drill has my cold start in there. It has movement drills. It has malfunction drills. And you can add that to, um, to, to, to basically a, a worksheet for your day. So, oh, sorry, clipboard. So like how you go to the gym and you have specific programming for when you go to the gym, mm -hmm. it's the same idea. You basically can add these different drills to your clipboard that is cool. for the day. Um, and so when you go to the range, now you can just pull up your phone and be like, okay, cool. I want to work on this. And then you can either use the built-in shot timer, which I'm not really a fan of because I have a big case on my phone. So it doesn't pick it up and the phone really isn't designed to be a shot timer or has a manual entry option. So you can take your pack timer or whatever shot timer you use and you can manually enter the time after. Yeah. Then it moves to the next screen after that, which shows you how much penalty if you got it in the A zone or the C zone or whatever it is. And then that gives you your total time overall. And then it gives you leaderboard standings to see how you compare to other shooters who use the app as well. So, so it invokes that competitive spirit and it also gives you intention as to uh, what you're going to do at the range. And you can also choose between different setups. So if you have like an inside the waistband concealed carry setup, or if you have like an OWB, like war, uh, war belt type setup or whatever else you can change different profiles depending on what you want to work on yeah. and finally you can also change whatever type of target you're using so you can use a uspsa cardboard or you know uh, uh a zone steel or whatever target metric that you want to specifically use you can choose from a drop down menu so nate's been working on this probably since 2017 2018 and uh it's just been growing since and i haven't seen anything other like uh, anything else like that on the market and uh that's what we're basically going to be spreading the gospel in the bus on our travels with me teaching him spreading the the, the range fox gospel so that's really Dude. the two best ways that i found to to keep students um intentional with their practice I, I love that yeah it's that's i'm gonna download that actually i wrote it down because that's something so recently i've been trying to do more pistol and carbine drills right you know yeah. it's been one of those things that it's like you know i should probably start practicing everything else rather than just being lazy and whatever and uh, that's been something that's been hard to find is is a good source for different drills that i can just take targets out and set up because oh, yeah. otherwise yeah, like you're you like know. at the range and you're like oh, oh yeah, I gotta dude, yeah. It. all the time <laughs> all the time yeah I, I can't tell you how many times i've seen guys at my local rangers show up with 253 in rounds, they blow through it in an hour and then they have no idea if they learned anything, right? right? Like even for me, even with what I do, even though like I'm a instructor and I, you know, shoot for a living, I, I, I still have to watch how much I shoot. Yeah. So even for me, like I try to go to the range with, I'm not traveling once a week for no more than an hour. And I'm shooting only between 50 to 75 rounds. And yeah. within those 50 to 75 rounds, I have intention with each and every single rep, not just like just drawn out and just blazing, you know, right. like I, I I'm, I'm, I'm working low percentage shots or distance work or a combination of both or movement, whatever that I feel that I'm slacking on. Um, and, and I can do it right then and there. Yeah. I've been do I've been starting to do that lately where like a couple of weeks ago, I've never worked around, never, never really tried working around, um, like either my wife's car or my truck, you know, like I've done it like kind of for fun, trying to be all cool yeah, and yeah. shit. But then I went out <laughs> a couple of weeks ago and I was like, Hey, like I watched a couple of videos before I went, kind of try a few things. I only shot, I think like 30 rounds, but it was yeah. like, it was like, I learned and granted, you know, it's like, Hey, you shoot a couple of rounds, take a minute, kind of figure out like, okay, make sure everything feels good. Don't, you know, don't shoot the tire. Right. Don't shoot the wheel. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And by yeah, the time yeah. I left, I was like, it's like, like, especially when it's not a, especially not when, when it's not a, a, a car that you got out of the junkyard, especially when it's a car that you're like, I have to drive this, this car back home. I, I got to get back home. In this <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we talked, I feel like a, a fair bit about, you know, the firearms component and a little bit of the mentality of it. You had yeah. mentioned that, that jujitsu was a big part of your life. Do you mind yeah. kind of talking about how that came about and what role yeah, it sure. does play for you? For sure. So, uh, over the years, I've become really good friends with somebody I consider a mentor, not only from a teaching standpoint, but but just a mentor in regards to 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 somebody more elder than me that I can again look up toward towards as a young man, but also from a teaching standpoint. 
Um, his name is Craig Douglas. He owns and operates a training company called ShivWorks. And um, his kind of flagship course is what's called ECQC or Extreme Close Quarters Concepts. And it's two and a half days of basically fighting within two arms reach with simunitions, all that type of stuff. Yeah. So Craig spent some time doing uh, undercover narcotics work down in New Orleans back in the late 90s. Oh. And that kind of what stemmed this EC a lot of, with a bunch of other things obviously involved. But um, his ECQC is what he's kind of known for. He was more or less, as far as I'm concerned, one of the first guys in the gun industry to really introduce this combatives type mindset into shooting com combining shooting but also getting the shit the shit safely beat out of you <clears throat> within the same class so the class starts on a friday evening and you come in and it's basically just the soft skills so it's no no guns no combatives no knives it's just basically how the the how criminals work so the criminal paradigm like what what are the do's and don'ts that criminals most commonly do and then how to verbalize with an unknown person that you may encounter on the street, how to de-escalate a situation, how to look for pre-assault cues. Again, all the stuff that, as far as I'm concerned, is the most important stuff mm -hmm. that people overlook. That's just the, the first half day. Saturday and Sunday is a mixture of both live fire and simunition work. Okay. So, so you're understanding how to shoot the gun from various uh, modes of compression or extension with the pistol. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're understanding the, the, the basics of standing grappling in a weapons-based environment. Um, and then there's a culmination drill on Sunday where essentially you do some car fighting. So, you know, the scenario is you're the driver for whatever reason you pick somebody up or the person gets into the passenger door and now he pulls the SIM gun on you. Now you have to avert the muzzle of the gun and basically fight, get to a dominant position in order to, to draw your gun. Now, that was one of the first open enrollment classes that I had gone to after I left the military in 2010. This is probably around 2011, 2012. Yeah. And he was teaching at a local range around here in New Hampshire. And I had stopped in, took the class as a student. And I was, you know, I was a Marine. I had done some blade work as well. Some, some uh, uh, blade work from a good friend of mine named Tom Sotis. He's, he developed this blade system called Amok, A-M-O-K. And uh, he's based out of R Rhode Island. And he was my first real introduction to, to the idea of how to use a blade on in an offensive and defensive manner. Yep. So I had that behind me and I'm like, I'm a Marine. I think I should do pretty good. Well, when you have somebody take you down to the ground and, and mind you, in these scenarios, you're wearing these big protective helmets that are supposed to intentionally make you feel claustrophobic you can't breathe really it's getting all foggy because of course the turf that they have at this range is all sand so you get sand in your eyes and your butt crack all this type of stuff and you're on the ground and when the when your adversary is on top of you and he feels your waistline and knows that you're carrying a, a trainer knife I, I had basically a metal trainer that's you know dull and just gets you used to you can get reps accessing it when he feels that and disarms you of your own knife and then plum that plums it into your rib cage that for me was the catalyst of like i need to fix this like yeah. i had to take a moment and actually like walk off to the side to compose myself because i was the most that was the i never wanted to feel that way ever again um so as soon as i was done with that weekend i i searched out local places around where i lived in massachusetts to to start my inevitable jujitsu journey and yeah. uh my <laughs> My original idea is like, oh, well, you know, I'll do it for about six months and then I'll do some, you know, striking stuff and go on from there. Yeah, that never happened. You know, I'm here 11 years later and um, it's like, like I said, a, there's a local place here about 20 minutes from my house in, in town that I, I was thankful that when I moved up here, that happened to be a, a really good school. And I probably train there about two to three days a week. And it's, it, it, it's just not only, uh, it's not only fantastic from a, from a, you know, cardio perspective, because no type of machine you get on in the gym will ever replicate rolling six minutes with a high ranking jujitsu belt. Like there, there's just, there's nothing on earth that, that, that can replicate that. So from a cardio standpoint, but also from a mentality standpoint in the, in, in the regards to intentionally getting comfortable in uncomfortable positions, yeah. you know, in embracing this idea of discomfort, right? Knowing that as long as I can breathe 
and I can keep my hands in tight and I don't have a, you know, somebody wrapping my neck up or extending my arms out or going for my foot, I'm pretty good. Yeah. The guy's on top of me. Yeah. He's pretty heavy, but I still, I still can get air into my lungs. That means I can find an escape. And that's what it's kind of done for me is as long, you know, and again, this applies to not just jiu-jitsu, but really anything. If you're in a bad position, you know, whether it be uh, from a mentality standpoint, like you're in a dark place, um, whether it be from a financial bad place, like your finances aren't good, or whether it be from an actual self-defense scenario, like your back is up against the wall, you got nowhere to go. As long as you can breathe, you're in the fight still. It's, it's, it's as simple and as cliche as that, as long as you can breathe, get the fuck back up and keep moving <laughs> forward. You know, that it, it, it's as simple as that, you know, and people want to sugarcoat it and, and make the whole, you know, motivational manifesto out of it. But the reality is that we, as a society have so easily contracted out our, our safety, or more importantly, our mentality and vitality to other people that when it comes time to answer the door with the bad people that are behind it, we're not going to know what to do because we've unintentionally allowed ourselves to become. And again, as cliche and as moto as it sounds too, too soft to have a answer to that potential solution that's out there. Yeah. Or an answer to that problem. Sorry, should I say it's out there? Yeah. So has, has jujitsu been, are you doing the edged part of it as well as jujitsu? Are they one and the same or are they two separate activities? They're kind of two separate activities. So a lot of most jujitsu schools nowadays are more so in the sport mindset for like competition, which is great. You know, I like uh, when I originally started jujitsu, I was very like, it's only for self-defense, you know, if you're doing anything else, it's stupid. And then obviously over the years, I've definitely adjusted the way I look at things. And I I look at it from, from, from both ways. Like any martial art was originally designed, you know, for self-defense, just like any firearm was designed for self-defense. No one designed a handgun to be like, wow, these will be really good to put holes in paper. No, they designed it as a (laughs) more efficient tool to take someone's life just like how any martial art was originally designed to potentially end somebody's life. So that's what jujitsu was originally designed for. And over the years, it's grown like anything else does. And it's grown into facets of multiple divisions of competition divisions of jujitsu, which is great. Um, But I feel like over the years, because that people have kind of lost the sight as to what it was designed for. And now there's obviously a purist side of the house where they only believe in self-defense, which is great. But at the same time, that doesn't lend itself too well to personal creativity of your game, quote unquote, in jujitsu. If if all you're worried about all the time is getting hit in the face or a weapon coming out, then your jujitsu game as to what it looks like is going to be pretty cut and dry and pretty boring. Right. If, however, you're looking at it more from a sport mindset and see how creative that you can make your moves and move your body and not necessarily worry about getting punched in the face too much the the amount of creativity that can come out of that and the the type of submissions that people have developed over the years on their own account is 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 pretty amazing so i i look at it as as you know as as long as you're thinking in the role as to where you could potentially throw an elbow or you could access your knife or your gun as long as you're kind of having that in the back of your mind then you should be good you know um that, that that's a kind of the way that that I kind of look at it. So yeah. it's it is kind of necessarily two two separate things. I, I'm lucky enough that my school, you know, allows me to every now and again pop in during an afternoon class, and I'll bring my bag of knife trainers, and we'll 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 talk about you know how to work up if you're smashed up against a wall, or if you're smashed up against a wall on the ground to simulate being like in a parking garage against a, your wheel of your vehicle. Like how do you regain a dominant position when you're in such an initiative deficit yeah and and, and we'll and, and we'll do things like that that's cool i, I like stuff like that my wife and i did jujitsu for a while and i haven't yeah. I, I think she's gone back more frequently than i have but it's been kind of in terms of priority a little bit lower on my list lately and uh, it's sure. fun because i've seen a couple people i think you included mm-hmm. now too a couple people incorporate firearms training with jujitsu and kind of the grappling and to me that looks 
really intimidating totally honest but a lot of fun you know like it looks like yeah well i mean like that's that's the distance that's going to happen at man like yeah not to say that it can't ever occur outside two arms reach at you know 15 feet that would be the best case scenario right you draw your gun you got a little bit of time perfect (laughs) extension perfectly in your sights great but most of the time most encounters are going to happen within that bad breath distance right you cut the corner coming out of a bar and you bump into somebody or someone's in there waiting for you or whatever the situation may be, it's going to be within that two arms reach distance and knowing how to manage their hands, their posture, their body is going to allow you to have more options to hopefully best case scenario, just get out of there. But if you can't get to an established dominant position and, you know, make a choice from there as to where you want to go with that, yeah, just because, um, I'm probably gonna get a lot of hate for this one, but probably the most I- insecure people that I know that I've met over the years are what I call gun purists. So people that look at the gun as the only solution to the problem. Right. And as I talked about earlier, like it is, as far as I'm concerned, my, my last, uh, my last priority as to what I should be looking for. Right. If I have to go to my gun as a regular everyday citizen, I messed up somewhere. I didn't either see the threat early enough. I wasn't uh, conscious to my immediate environment, or I allowed my ego to get in the way. And now I've potentially escalated the situation. So now I have to go to a lethal option, unfortunately. Right. Um, And uh, by people going and doing other things to make themselves more confident themselves, whether it be something as simple as going to the gym, or whether it be going to the gym and maybe doing some martial arts, they start to see like, wow, you know what? I really don't need to be looking at the gun as my only option. And, and they start to have, again, as cliche, it sounds an aura of confidence around them, right? They're, 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 they have a more upright posture when they walk around, their shoulders are back, they're looking up, they're looking people in the eye when they talk to them. And all those things can be accomplished by the confidence that you gain in these arduous type environments, whether it be under a 300 pound, you know, back squat, or whether it be having a 250 pound dude on top of you in side control. Um, <laughs> as, as, as long as you can see it to the end, as long as you can breathe and you can finish the rep or whatever it is, then there is confidence to be found in that. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> I know it's getting kind of late for you. And this is my one of my favorite questions, but and I know we've glazed over. I can only imagine, and I'd love maybe to sit down again. But of <laughs> of your life experience, what has been maybe the one thing that you've learned that you wish maybe you'd have known going into whether that's the Marine Corps or uh, training or even college and the communication and psychology route? I mean, is there anything that you're like, damn, this would have helped me out? I would say one of the one of the the biggest thing is the whole lone wolf, you know, like I'm an alpha wolf, lone wolf, I don't need any help. It, it's complete BS. Like again, it's all like hype. It's all like, yeah, man, I don't need anybody. The the reality is, especially in the industry that I'm in, in, in the firearms industry where everybody's looking to get one inch above the other. It's not necessarily what you know, like what you know is important, right? Because if, especially if you're doing what I do with teaching, like you have to know something in order to carry that information over, have knowledge transfer to another individual. But if you don't know people that can get your foot in the door to talk to those people or to talk to those companies, then it's all null and void. And letting go of your potential ego and putting that to the side and admitting like, yep, I'm the, I'm the new guy, or, you know, I, I know nothing, you know, can, can you lead me in this direction and being vulnerable in that moment will help you tenfold at the end of the day. Like I've seen so many people's growths stop because they're unwilling to, to, to allow themselves to become vulnerable and put themselves out there because of the opinion of other people. And again, the opinions of other people aren't going to put money in your bank account at the end of the day, but people are so afraid of saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing or, 
or wearing the wrong thing to offend somebody or something or whatever it may be that they're in this kind of weird, uh, th- this weird kind of limbo space, you know, yeah. where, uh, they're, they, they can't go back, but they're also too afraid to go forward. So they're kind of in this mediocrity that this mediocre kind of middle ground where they end up existing for the rest of their life, you know, and, in order, you know, pe- people always ask like, oh, how, how do I become an instructor? It's like, well, never stop being a student. Yeah. You know, I, I can't tell you how many thousands of dollars that I, that I spent on being a student before I even thought about doing this full time. Like I basically apprenticed quote unquote for about seven years under different people as their cadre before I even thought about, yeah, I can do this by myself. Right. And people aren't willing to put that time in. People are like, oh, well, I want, you know, I've, I've only been doing this for a year and, you know, I, I can only still do it part-time. It's like, yeah, dude, you got to put your time in, you know, and, and it's going to hurt. It's going to suck. You're going to question yourself. People are going to question you. But as long as you're willing to continually put the effort in and continually take even just 1% forward every day, yeah. that's what's going to build up over time. Okay. Awesome, man. Well, thank you. Um, is there anything else that you maybe don't get asked a lot or don't share often enough in addition to that, that, that you kind of want to use as a, as a parting gift, parting knowledge transfer? Uh, that's, that's honestly, that's my favorite loaded question. Cause I get some, okay. I get some really good answers, like some, 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 some off the wall answers. So uh, well, people, I guess people assume that I'm angry all the time, but I just have really bad resting <laughs> bitch face. So <laughs> that's, that's not a bad thing that I don't think yeah. that's a bad thing. No. And, 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 and I joke and say, that's why I have so many tattoos is because I don't want people to talk to me uh, <laughs> because, well, yeah, I, 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 I guess the, well, not that I get asked a lot, but people that don't know about me is that I'm a huge introvert. Yeah. Even though I do this for a living and I talk in front of people all the time when I'm not doing that, I literally just want to sit in my house all day and sit next to my wood stove and just read like yeah. that is if, you, if I could picture a perfect day, it would be making my my perfect coffee, which I am a huge coffee nerd. Like I have <laughs> the hand grinder. I buy whole bean. I have the I have an electric Bluetooth kettle. Okay, there you go. That's yeah. how that, 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 that is some bougie <laughs> shit right there. And, and a gram scale to weigh my Chemex coffee on. Dude, there you so, go. So that mixed with some, some, uh, some winter wood stove with next to a book, like that is my perfect day. You know, I, I am, I am, I am not a city person at all. I'm not simple a guy. Yeah. club person. I'm just a simple guy with, with simple needs, man. Dude, I dig that. Everybody's got their thing. You, you, you measure out grams for coffee. I measure out individual 0.01 grains for reloading. Yes. So yes, it's, it's kind of sad, but Ian, man, once again, thank you for taking the time. I really enjoyed our conversation. I look forward to sitting down with you again in the future and uh, picking your brain some more on uh, all of your knowledge, the skills that you learn that you've learned, and uh, really kind of diving deep uh, again into some other conversation. But everybody listening, I hope you all took some good information away. Uh, I would strongly encourage you go follow him on uh, the Instagram at Rune Nation LLC. I'll link it in the episode description as well as his website. Go take a look at the classes that he's offering, some of the discourse that he's creating. Right whether you're interested in getting into some of the combatives or some of the pistol and carbine work, I would strongly encourage you to go take a look at it, hit him up and, uh, you know, engage in the community. And, uh, like I said, you know, my goal is really to, uh, help spread the word and get, and get people involved and find maybe a new family to go join in on. So I'm going to stop rambling, uh, kind of as usual, but I hope you all have a wonderful week. Be sure to like subscribe and we will catch you next week. Thanks everybody.